Just a few verses from Psalm 74, just reminding us of the majesty of God. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Just a reminder of the authority of God over his creation. Well, before we come to God's word, let's pray together. Yeah, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for its reliability, Lord. We thank you for those down the centuries who put it into our hands to teach us about you, to teach us that you are a good God. And so, Father, as we look at your word uh, tonight, um, I pray, Father, uh, that you would help me to deliver the words that you want me to and that we would have open hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good. Um, You will need Bibles, actually, because we're going to be looking uh, at a few scriptures. I haven't got one specific reading. Um, I've got a number. Right. So I've entitled this Israel and the Abrahamic Covenant. And in some ways, um, many of you who have come will know that we've been looking at Genesis before Christmas. We looked at Genesis 1 to 11. And I think it was Keith Stenner who finished off with the Abrahamic Covenant in Genesis 12. And so this dovetails in quite nicely because I would like to look at it in more detail because this is all about God's salvation plan. And just to recap, we we looked at Genesis 1, we looked at creation, we looked at the fall in Genesis 3 and saw how evil came into the world. We looked at that evil spread in Genesis 4. And then we talked in Genesis 6 about how the whole human race had been infiltrated demonically. Evil had really got out of hand and God had no choice but to bring about the flood. Keeping safe, um, uh, Noah and his family, who then repopulated the world, and we looked a little bit about that in uh, in Genesis chapter on the table of nations. Um, But we saw that evil had not been dealt with. Uh, That wasn't God's intention. God wasn't trying to destroy evil. Evil was still there. God's salvation plan had to take into another gear. And so um, we focused right at the end in Genesis 11 and 12 on one person, on Abraham. And God was now going to deal through Abraham with the next part of his salvation plan. It was a covenant that he made with Abraham. It involved the creation of a nation. That nation became known as Israel. And this was a new phase of the same plan that God always had. And that's the sort of overall theme to keep in mind. God's salvation plan, it's outworking. So having said that, let's look at Genesis 12. Let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. This is the agreement that God made with Abraham. So we're going to look at Genesis 12, and it's just the first three verses. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Okay. Now, as we'll see, God expanded on this because this is the bare bones of the covenant, but it's the start. And there are three things I want you to notice there. Three things. The first is the promise of a land, and that is in verse 1. Take your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Verse 2 talks about a nation. I will make you into a great nation. And verse 3 at the end talks about a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. So those are the three components that we've been given of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Land, nationhood, and those two tend to go together because you can't really have a nation without a land, and blessing to the world. And we're going to be looking at each one of those as we go through this talk. So as I said, this was the first revelation that God gave to Abraham. And then he started unpacking it through the years. So as we move into Genesis 15, I'll just summarize this. But Genesis 15 um, talks about the son who's going to be the heir of this promise. It talks about a son for Abraham and for Sarah. It also talks about Abraham having numerous descendants, as many as the stars. And also in verse 18, Genesis 15 talks about the extent of the land, which has given a brief glimpse of the land, which is predominantly Canaan, but also extends beyond its borders. So Genesis 15 begins to flesh out a little bit what this covenant is. But Genesis 17 is where I want us to turn next. And Genesis 17 was another talk that's recorded between God and Abraham. And at this point, Abraham's 99 years old. Now, if you skip back to Genesis 12, don't do it, but he was 74 then. So we've had 25 years pass, okay? So 25 years, God's promise still holds. But now he gives Abraham a little bit more detail in Genesis 17. So that's the place I would like you to turn to. Genesis 17, and we're going to read verses 1 to 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And no longer will you be called Abraham, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So some big promises there. Um, to begin with, from verse 3, uh, God talks again about Abraham being the father of many nations, being the father of many people. Um, his descendants, would, 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 he'd be very fruitful. There would be a lot of descendants coming from him. And then we go on to um, the next part from verse 7. It talks about an everlasting covenant between uh, the generations to come to be your God. So God here has covenanted himself to Abraham that he and his descendants would be, they would have God as their God. And then in verse 8, we talk about the land of Canaan, which again was covenanted to Abraham and his descendants. So to be their God and to have the land. 
Now, there's a very important word in verses 7 and 8. It occurs in verse 7, and it occurs in verse 8. And I wonder if anyone can spot that important word. It's repeated in both verses. Feel free to shout out. Otherwise, I'll tell you. Say again, Snow? Everlasting. Everlasting. I didn't tell you to say that, did I? No. (laughs) Everlasting. Okay. Now, this is important because God has made this an everlasting covenant. So he's going to be an everlasting God to them, and the possession of the land is going to be an everlasting covenant. And as one quite well-known commentator said, Bible commentator said, everlasting means everlasting. It means it lasts forever. And this is what we call an unconditional covenant. Okay, There are conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. This is unconditional because it's not dependent upon what the future Israel, future Abraham's descendants will do. It is not dependent on their behavior. Some things are, but not this. No matter what they do, these promises stand because God has said they are everlasting. And this is an important thing to grasp. It's an unconditional covenant. This is the grace of God, by the way, because certainly Israel didn't deserve these sort of promises, didn't deserve to be chosen. They weren't chosen because they're anything special. God chose them. That was it. And God has given them out of his grace this everlasting, unconditional covenant. And of course, this is something that Satan will bitterly oppose. You know, Satan opposes the word of God. Right from the beginning, do you remember when uh, Adam uh, and Eve were tempted, when Eve was tempted, Satan said, did God say? Questioning God's word. So Satan will attack anything that is in God's word, as he does with this particular covenant. But then we run into two problems. So here's the first problem. And the first problem is which of Abraham's line was going to receive this covenant? Because you see, unfortunately, sometime earlier, Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands. They took matters into their own hands. And we know that from chapter 16, which obviously comes just before chapter 17. And we know from that that, they, that Abraham had a child through Hagar, who was Sarah's uh, slave or servant, and they had a son called Ishmael. Okay, So they anticipated and took into their own hands what God had promised. They couldn't wait for an heir, so they wanted to produce an heir themselves. And so the question has to be, who inherits that promise of God, the covenant of God, Abrahamic covenant? Is it Ishmael, or is it the son to come? Well, I mean, we all know what it is, but let's see what the Bible says and what God says. And if we look a little bit further down Genesis 17, we come to verses 15 to 22. So let me just read these to you and follow them uh, on your devices or in your Bible, and we'll see what God says about this particular problem. So from verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So we can see what happens here. Abraham, like a good father, was pleading to God about Ishmael. Ishmael was his son, and he wanted the best for Ishmael. But God quite clearly designated Isaac. Verse 19, I will establish my covenant with him, Isaac, as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. But Ishmael is still to receive blessing. God, in his mercy, even through um, Sarah and Abraham's disobedience, still has mercy on Ishmael. And he does receive blessings. He also is going to be a great nation. And our understanding is that the Arab peoples largely came from Ishmael. So he also was going to be um, uh, a blessing and also was going to be a great nation. So Ishmael was given promises, but not the promise, not the Abrahamic covenant promise. That was going to go to Isaac. Okay. After Isaac, Isaac married Rebekah, and Rebekah had two children, Esau and Jacob. So we have another choice here. Which line is it going to go down, Esau or Jacob? They were twins, of course, um, so they were in Sarah's womb, and in fact, sorry, Rebekah's womb. And in fact, Rebekah did ask God what was going to be the outcome of this before she actually gave birth. Uh, We read this in Genesis 25. And God replied, the elder will serve the younger. Now, the elder, by a few minutes, was Esau, who was born first, and then came Jacob. So what God is saying is that Jacob will receive the promise, not the elder, not Esau. And this was confirmed uh, in Genesis 28, and that's the next place I'd like you to turn to. So we're just working chronologically, really, through Genesis. Uh, Genesis 28. And this is the place where... Uh, it's a place called Bethel, and it's, where, it's the time when Jacob is running away from Esau. You probably will know the story, but uh, Jacob conned Esau out of his birthright, basically, or Esau just gave it up to, to him, um, and so uh, is, is planning to do harm to him. And Rebekah tells Jacob to run, and Jacob does. And he leaves Beersheba, where they were camping, and uh, he sets out and arrives at a place called Bethel. And reading from verses 13, uh, we see uh, that he has a vision. This is the Jacob's ladder, the angels going up and down the ladder. And Jacob is having a vision. And in this vision, it says in verse 13, there above it, that's the ladder, stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. First of all, just to say this this is amazing grace that God has given. I mean, Jacob is not necessarily a very pleasant character. (laughs) He is deceitful. And yet God is giving him these tremendous promises. Again, nothing that he has done, but everything that God has decided, sovereignly decided to do. 
And we can see again this promise of many descendants like dust on the earth spreading out. This promise that God would be his God. Remember, that's the original Abrahamic covenant. God would be his God. He would watch over him wherever he went. And he would bring him back to this land because Jacob was off. He was leaving. But God would bring him back to the land as he has promised. And so we can see that the covenant went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And then, of course, we know that out of Jacob came 12 sons, and they were the 12 tribes of Israel, and hence the beginning of that nation. Now, I love summaries, and this slide that John is going to put up summarizes what I've just said from the Bible. Is it going to go? If not, I'll just read it. No. Right, doesn't matter. I'll read it, and you can make a, a note. Oh, th there it is. Psalm 105. Uh, Psalm 105. Uh, the words are up there uh, from verses 8 to 11. This just summarizes what we've already seen. And the psalmist says, He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. Okay, so very, very clear. Uh, summarizes exactly the line of Abraham, reminds us of an everlasting covenant, and reminds us of the land. Okay, so hopefully that's all good so far. But now we come to problem number two, and this is something we have to tackle as well. Because we know from biblical history, Israel did not always remain in the land. Now, how does that fit in with this everlasting promise that the land is theirs? Well, we know in the 8th century, in 722, the Assyrian evasion came. So Assyria was the empire of the time. They came, they deported the 10 northern tribes of Israel, which were in rebellion against God anyhow. They'd set up false idols, etc., etc. And they were deported out of uh, their territory, leaving a rump, basically. Um, this rump, uh, as you probably know, turned into, into the Samaritans, morphed into what in Jesus' time became known as the Samaritans, which followed a Judaic-type religion, but it wasn't the true religion. Okay, so that's what happened to them. Now, in the, uh, in the next century, it was the turn of Judah and Benjamin, okay? particularly Judah, because they've sort of morphed together. And they came across the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonians, under Nebuchadnezzar, ransacked Judah, ransacked in 586 Jerusalem, and again deported a large numbers of Jewish people. Okay. Now, this had been clearly prophesied. As early as Moses, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses had laid out blessings and curses. So the blessings were, if you obey me and follow me, you will prosper, you'll have an amazing time in this land. Everything will be fruitful. The curses were, if you start to disobey me, if you follow other gods, if you start to go contrary to my word, you will be cursed. These things will happen to you, diseases, warfare, etc., etc., up until... Verse 64, if you want to make a note of it, Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, talks about them being scattered amongst the nations. So this was the ultimate punishment, that Israel will be ejected from the land and scattered amongst the nations. But you see, this is where we have to come back to the unconditional covenant. The unconditional covenant still stood, that Israel, even though it was ejected from the land, still had possession of the land through God's word. Okay, so this is an important thing to grasp. 
their living in the land was conditional. It was conditional upon them obeying God and his word. If they didn't do that, they would be ejected. But the unconditional promise was that the land still belonged to them and their ejection was only temporary and partial. And we see that particularly in the, in the Babylonian exile because um, even before they went into exile or as they were going to exile, Jeremiah prophesied that it would be 70 years before they would come back. But they would come back in 70 years' time. That's in Jeremiah 29.10, if people who want that verse. And we know that when Cyrus came onto the throne, onto the Persian throne, he allowed the exiles to return. And some of them did, not all by any means, under a chap called Zerubbabel, brilliant name. And then the next century, Ezra and Nehemiah. We've heard about that, Nehemiah building up the walls of Jerusalem, Ezra leading them back into the Judaic faith. Okay, So this was the return of the exiles, as promised by God, to the land which he had always promised them. Okay, So it was a temporary loss, not a permanent loss. Then, of course, moving a little bit outside the biblical period, we come to the Romans. Because after Judah was re-established, Messiah obviously was born, we know that Jesus was rejected, not by the bulk of the Jewish population, but by uh, the leadership of the Jewish population, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. The leadership of the Jewish nation rejected Jesus. The result was, 30 years later, the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and then a more profound destruction in AD 135, when they completely obliterated Jerusalem and drove the Jews out although there was always a Jewish presence in, 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 in the land. So this looked like a phenomenal thing. They'd lost the temple, they'd been driven out, the Romans were the most powerful empire. How are things going to come about? I've got one more reading to look at, because this is relevant as well. Because remember, the part of the Abrahamic covenant is that there would always be a nation. And Jeremiah 31 highlights this. So I think this is the final reading you'll have to look at. So you're doing very well. But if you look at Jeremiah 31, this is a prophecy that God gave through um, Jeremiah. And we're looking at verses 35 to 37. The previous verses are actually quite interesting, but they're a bit outside our scope at the moment. But they're all about a new covenant uh, that would be given to Israel. But we're going to look at verses 35 to 37. And uh, this is what God says. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. Okay, this is another... Well, it's not another, it's a reiteration of the nationhood that God had promised, originally promised Abraham. Because if you can follow it, what God is saying is that only if the stars and the seas and everything disappear are no more, will Israel cease to be a nation before me. So in other words, these things won't happen, certainly not until Jesus returns. So Israel will always be a nation before God. That's what it's saying. And verse 37 reiterates that. 
It says that the heavens could be measured and the foundations below be searched out, meaning that they can't. Only then will I reject all the descendants of Israel. In other words, I will not reject them unless these things happen, and they're not going to, so I am still their God. Again, another unconditional promise, not dependent upon Israel's obedience, just given to them by the grace of God. Amos also talks about the return of the people of Israel and how they will never be uprooted again. And so we come, we're just moving outside the Bible here, but we know from history that in the late 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, there was a big return of the Jewish people to the land, prayed for by many evangelical Christians in the UK, actually, and resulting in the Balfour Declaration. This is all history, you can read it up. Uh, And it resulted, eventually, uh, on 14th May 1948, the establishment or the re-establishment of the State of Israel, ordained by the UN in the previous year. Now, Isaiah 66 poses a very interesting question. Isaiah 66, 8 says, Can a country be born in a day? That's verse 8. That's a rhetorical question. I don't know if Isaiah had any insight, but it was very prophetic. Because, yes, in this particular case, a country was born in a day. Now, that is the faithfulness of God, that after 2,000 years, he remembered, well, he'd never forgotten, he remembered his covenant to Abraham 4,000 years ago from today. And that covenant still stood. And he brought the nation back, the nation of Israel. Not because they had suddenly repented, but all because of his grace and his faithfulness to what he had said. And that's very encouraging to us. Because our salvation and our relationship with God similarly cannot be earned. We can do nothing other than open ourselves up to him. That's what salvation is. It's by grace alone at the end of the day. It's all by God's grace and all by his faithfulness. And if he can be faithful to the covenant promise that he made to Israel, we can have absolute certainty that he's going to be faithful to the promises in the New Testament that he's made to us of being our God and of eternal life. So you can see how the two link together. It's so encouraging. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even if we are faithless, he is faithful. Even if our faith is weak, and it always is at some point, we all go through crises of faith. But even at that point, he is faithful. Unconditional again. He will always be for us and never against us. Just as he was faithful to the people of Israel. So we've looked at the nation. We've looked at the land. One more thing we need to look at is the blessing, because that was another thing. That was the third thing that God promised Abraham in that original Abrahamic covenant we read in Genesis 12, that he would be a blessing and his descendants would be a blessing to the world. Isaiah 49, 6 talks about Israel, and it's morphed in with Jesus as well, of being a light to the Gentiles. And in many ways even without what I'm going to come to, and you all know what I'm going to come to, which is the Messiah, Israel was already a blessing. I mean, our whole Western foundation is based on what we call Judeo-Christianity. It's, it's Judeo-Christian teaching. It's the Ten Commandments. It's all the morality taught uh, in the Old Testament. It's all the promises of God. It's all the um, faithfulness or compassion of God. That all comes out um, through the Bible given to Israel. And it's formed the foundation of our Western nations, which, as you all know, is being eroded now rapidly. 
So, so uh, in many ways, they have already been a blessing. But of course, their big blessing was the Messiah. Okay. God's salvation plan. He needed to make a nation that would know of God, would know the authority of God, would know that he was the one and only God. I mean, that sounds easy to us, but don't forget in those days, in pagan worlds, pantheism was, was, was the name of the game. They'd never heard of one God. One single God? No, they had millions of gods. Well, not millions, but a lot of gods, Greeks and Romans. So this, this, this was a revolutionary thing. God had to implant in a people the fact that there is only one true God who made the heaven and the earth and is the one we need to answer for. He needed to instill in a people the seriousness of sin. We have the whole sacrificial system, which is based on the fact we have a broken relationship with God. You see, Jesus could not have been born, or would have found it very difficult to be born in another part of the Roman Empire that didn't recognize him, that was pagan. No, God's plan was to birth him in a people who, however imperfectly, knew their God and also had an expectation for the Messiah. And that's what people did. There was a messianic expectation at the time of Jesus' birth. They might have had the wrong idea of what the Messiah was going to be. They thought he was going to be an all-conquering king. But they still expected a Messiah. And into this people, Jesus was born. And he grew up as a Jewish rabbi, basically, speaking to his people. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. Now, what that means is that Israel had the first pickings because Jesus was there for them. He, yes, he did speak to Gentiles in his ministry, but it was a predominantly Jewish audience and it was certainly Jewish disciples that he discipled. But God's intention was always, as I've said, light of the world, light to the Gentiles, was that this good news would go out to the Gentile world as a blessing to the whole world. God had said in Isaiah that his house was going to be a house of prayer for all nations. That's the Gentile nations. And Jesus in John 10 talked about other sheep, not of this fold. The other sheep is us. It's Gentiles. So it was always the intention of God, going right back to Abraham's time, that this blessing of the Messiah and the good news of a relationship with God uh, through the Messiah being possible was a blessing that went out through the early church, through Paul, through Acts, and so on. This was the blessing, I think, particularly, that God was talking about when he first made it, that promise to Abraham, that his descendants through Israel would be a blessing to the world. So this is the outworking of God's salvation plan. It's just brought us a little bit further up to date. We have the bare bones in Genesis 12, and I hope you've seen how this developed through Genesis and then beyond that. I hope you've seen the faithfulness of God. This is something really to get across, that God is so faithful to the promises he has made. And because we can see his faithfulness to the nation of Israel, we can have absolute certainty that he is going to be faithful to the promises that he has made us. And that is a very powerful uh, rock to stand on. That is our stability as Christians. God is faithful. God is in charge. God has abundant grace in dealing both with Israel and also with us. So this is a wonderful message. The Abrahamic covenant is for all of us. It's the blessings of God. No, nothing to do with what we've done. Everything to do what he chose to do. His salvation plan goes right back to Genesis 3. God was never taken by surprise. He always had this 
from the foundations of the earth and even before the creation of the earth. He always had his salvation plan in mind. In Genesis 3, we talk about um, the, uh, the seed of Abraham bruising the serpent's head. That is a messianic promise. And we can see how that worked its way out down the centuries through the nation of Israel and then beyond. So it's a marvellous picture of God working out his salvation through history. Amen. Well, let's just have uh, just a, a little time of, of thought, just for uh, a minute or so. Just uh, ask the Lord uh, what he's showing you through this. Uh, maybe something you haven't heard before. Or maybe just confirming something you'd already thought of. But ask the Lord what it is that he wants to teach you, and then I'll just close in a prayer. So, Father, we thank you again for your word. Um, This is so simple on the one hand, but so deep uh, on the other hand. And we thank you, Father, that from the very beginning of time, you had your salvation plan in hand, and you were faithful to its outworkings, Lord. Thank you that applies to each one of us here who have accepted you as Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Father, for that promise you gave to Abraham and your faithfulness in keeping it. And thank you, Father, that... Because of that, we can be certain that the promises you have made us as your church will stand because you are faithful and you have done it. Yeah, so Father, thank you. And uh, I pray, Lord, uh, that this week uh, you would go with each one of us, uh, wherever we are working, whether it's home uh, or at at a place of work. Father, wherever our front lines are, uh, go with us, Lord, so that we may live out in practice what we have heard. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us always, now and forevermore. Amen.